Hello and welcome to On Integrity. My name is Ella and I'm a third year biological natural science student. And my name is Temi and I'm a third year psychological and behavioural science student and you're listening on CAMFM. We've made it. <laughs> Final episode. Oh my Final goodness. I, wow. It actually has gone quick. Like, I don't know, it was a long time like building up but then as soon as we started recording yeah. for some reason, it just went fast. Just popping them out each week, you know? Pop, oh, pop, 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 pop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we tried. But yeah, this is, oh, yeah. it's been so good. Like, I really appreciate, like, everyone has, like, listened, kind of commented and said things yeah. because, yeah, I've really enjoyed doing this. This has been really nice. I think it's really good to talk through these kind of issues and topics mm. in a kind of more discussion way rather than in an academic sense because it's it's more real that way. 100%. Oh, but yeah, so yeah, each episode, as you know, we kind of addressed different aspects of science and where it lacks in integrity. So we talked about how yeah. different aspects in the past lacked integrity, whether this was um, talking about who actually collected things uh, in the context of slavery, um, talking yeah. about where ideas actually came from in the context of colonialism. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of a middle between like the deep past and like today we talked about which figures were kind of forgotten along the way if you know what I mean like yeah which people who did amazing work but because of the systemic racism that existed and still does exist we don't recognize them to their full potential exactly and then yeah the last episode we did was definitely like up to speed today in terms of um even once you've you've kind of got interest in science and when you're you're doing your degree or you're doing your master something, mm-hmm. why is it harder for people from underrepresented backgrounds or people who are underrepresented ethnicity ethnicity wise, why is it harder for them to kind of move up and achieve as much as their white counterparts? Exactly. And then finally today we kind of think about although we have been talking about solutions all the way through, this one really does focus on what's next like what can actually what do we think as just two individuals obviously we this is just our opinion but what do we think can actually happen to improve representation based exactly. on these things that have happened what 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 measures can be put into place what things do we think would actually encourage uh more people like us to get involved in science yeah so should you take the final paragraph of the speech oh okay the honor okay <laughs> so yeah this is the final pa- so as you know hope believes if you listen to the others we kind of read a paragraph of uh the original speech that uh this whole yes. podcast is based on which i did for the science communication prize at girton last year so we're reading the final paragraph today and then we'll go on to talk about the ideas discussed within it so yes, yes. as individuals educate yourselves Educate yourselves on why we learn about who we learn about, why we are taught by who we are taught by, and why we shouldn't simply just wait for young black people to start choosing science, but instead actively provide a platform for those already in academia to encourage young people to choose science. Nevertheless, access work doesn't change the history of science, and addressing these problems requires accountability from museums and institutions such as Cambridge. Without having integrity with regard to its past and present issues, Science will never truly be accessible to all and progress to its full potential. Oh, jeez. Emotional. Oh, my God. Yeah, is it? Yeah, I get this a little bit. <laughs> but it's tr- yeah, it's true. And yeah. Yeah, we're talking about that today. Why, wh- what can we do? What, what can individuals do? What can institutions do? Exactly. Um, to make and how those better. two can actually work together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How they kind of complement each other as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yes, so I think first we want to talk. We, you know, let's start on a positive note. Doesn't this? It's, yes. it's not all doom and gloom, you know. There, exactly. is, there is some great exactly. stuff going on at Cambridge, <laughs> at other universities that beyond in the science community itself, there are some great things that are taking place that we really we're grateful that these things exist because not only have some of them helped ourselves, but they help our friends. They help people who are younger than us that are coming up into science and exactly yeah we'd love to see these being kind of rolled out more and be given more funding hopefully <laughs> so yeah hopefully 
the first thing that we can talk about that happened like it's not necessarily a solution but it really has helped people like us and people younger than us and will continue to help people like as long as this is around and that is the Stormzy scholarship and I know when this was first announced some people had a problem with it I think it's amazing I think it's brilliant I even applied for it myself Mm. and the scholarship is for two black students who are from low socioeconomic backgrounds who want to apply to Cambridge and you he will choose two people each year to fully pay for tuition and maintenance loan and that is crazy and it's through every single year right of their every of their for the whole of their undergraduate degree there's a couple of th- th- reasons why it's so significant i guess yeah as in like firstly just the financial means by itself i mean we talked about it science or any degree is a massive mm-hmm. financial burden for people to take on and um exactly having it there as a thing that you know takes all that stress of of a family of a, of a young person mm-hmm. it's just incredible but then you've also kind of got the aspirational side of it and if mm-hmm. someone is willing and someone believes in people like you that they would they would invest in you if i mean if you know exactly. what i mean if yeah. that exists i think that's definitely going to be encouraging um more young black people to apply to Cambridge and other Russell Group universities exactly. because it's showing that people want you to be there and people think you deserve that amount of money to study there. So exactly. even if you don't end up getting it yourself or even if you d- you're you not completely eligible um, for, I don't know, different reasons, like just the idea that there's an encouragement factor that they want black people to study there, it, it does have exactly. a profound like mindset effect, I think, anyway. I think so too because especially seeing someone who you listen to their music for example or yeah. someone who's just in a completely different scene but wants to support you like it, it can it at least puts Cambridge in the thoughts of black students who wouldn't have thought it was for them mm. making it even the potential of getting the scholarship is enough because you've already applied mm. you know and I think that is a motivating factor and it's like some people that could on- be the only motivation they actually have that ap- makes them apply, but it's something, you know? Mm. And, like, and I it shows it that, so much. Yeah, and it shows that to young people that there are going to be other black people studying there, like you as well. Like, just the mm-hmm. fact that there's the culture of, yeah, we're going to get people in, we're going to encourage them when they get here. Yeah. yeah. I just think it's, oh, I love Stormzy. I love so Stormzy. do I. So do I. Yeah. <laughs> But then, yeah, there's not, there's not just monetary stuff as well, I guess, right? Exactly. There's so much charity work that is going on and, and schemes that are in place that really are there to push and motivate other people. So mm. that's both externally and internally, particularly when we're looking at Cambridge. So um, one external scheme that I've heard about that did really well this year was Target Oxbridge. And um, yes. this is... Um, the founder Naomi Kelman she started this initiative and it was to aid and support black African and Caribbean students into getting into Oxford and Cambridge Mm. and this year they got 74 black African and Caribbean students into Oxbridge that is (sighs) so good again it's so good because it's just the publicity that you so getting people in, in themselves is great but then the publicity it receives if exactly. look how many of these students got in it's just such an important encouragement factor especially when you think about the traditional image that cambridge and oxford and other Russell group universities put exactly. off like the fact that it almost defies that traditional view that to some aspects of it like i think do obviously exist today if you look at percentages like exactly. we did in the last episode we looked at the percentages of um, different ethnicities going to different courses. Yeah, we do see mm-hmm. aspects of the old, whatever view you have of these institutions, but mm-hmm. it is getting better. And there are people from different ethnic backgrounds that do study here and having publicity to these programs so people are getting in is exactly. going to have a catalytic, catalytic effect, I think. Mm-hmm. And with these programs, it's, 
it helps students who necessarily don't have a school that can support them mm. and like I was lucky I went to I went to Brampton sorry every every result say you see it trending on Twitter but mm. I was lucky because although the area I grew up in Brampton was at a point where they were pumping kids into Russell groups Russell group universities and and they have a whole team dedicated into ensuring how our how our university career will go mm. they and not every school was lucky to have that not every student is lucky to have that and I'm grateful but like having a program like Target Oxford which anyone can apply to who is black Afro African or Caribbean is so important because it 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 kind of gives them an extra boost even if their school can't help them Mm. and that does like bring up an interesting point because yeah because like obviously I went to a similar kind of school like LAE in Stratford that is very much focused on pushing kids from the area to get in to these universities but yeah like before those two schools existed um Mm -hmm. I'm just going off what like the, the schools claim to say themselves I haven't actually looked at the statistics but According to them, before they existed, there weren't many people from Newham and surrounding boroughs getting into, um, especially yeah. Oxbridge, but mo- like Russell University in general. I still, mm-hmm. I don't know how, because obviously the schools love to say, look at this massive change that I did. And I do think it did have a, prov- <laughs> a big influence, but I don't think it was like yeah. no one went to university before. I don't think it's fair to say that. But um, if you think two schools that focus on that, literally in the same borough, but then you've got exactly. some other areas of the UK where there won't be these schools that have got money to pump people into Oxbridge. And yeah. these programmes, as you said, like that can either be virtual, virtual mentorship, or just not specific to London where, you know, where you often see these kind of schemes taking place. It's just so important because you can say like, oh, look, it's great that so many black kids now going to Cambridge but then if they're only from London or something that's just that's an issue that also needs to be addressed what about people from like northern areas who are black who aren't getting in you can't just say yeah like we're saying integrity in terms of not only um, ethnicity but where they're growing up socioeconomic things as well so that brings us to another point about what is happening within universities and we're going to again talk about Cambridge because that's where we are and that's what we know mm-hmm. um and I remember was it last year Ella or the year before where we took part in the offer holders day oh yeah um, our fo- we used that photo on our Facebook right yeah for this podcast <laughs> <laughs> but um the ACS really do try and provide help before during and after the process like I have to give props to the ACS so Definitely. let's let's go in let's go in order so before the process um I know the ACS do access conferences because I took part in that once um they do ACS mentoring so they try and match current students and pair them with um year 13s to help do you know um interview preps do personal statement reading mm. questions about the admissions tests and the whole process to give them a sense of ease of knowing that there's somebody there walking them through it mm. and I think that scheme is just amazing yeah. and then during the process um, obviously you have your mentor and you can talk to them but then if they are able to get an offer they have the offer holder day where you can meet other people who identify as being part of the ACS who are going through the same similar feelings of anxiety and pressure for exams mm. and then like talk and, and 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 possibly meet your future friends at university who look yeah. like you especially when you're going you're about to go to a significantly white university and there's so many people from that offer holders day that I saw and I wanted to I really wanted to cry because it was just like wow it, it, it just it's it's, it's it's so nice to see that systems that helped you, you can now help them and you can see the rewards. Yes. Like it's so fulfilling. Yeah, because it's good because it shows people that 
one there's like already people who look like you yeah. that are doing your subject at Cambridge and they're like thriving or whatever like they can give you exactly. advice about what's going on and two that when you join yourself there's you're gonna have uh, all these people that you already know you've already got a kind of network set up and if you think yeah. about it like you think about like posh schools and everything like a lot of people a lot of people come from schools where they've got um like loads of people going to that university and they may not necessarily exactly. have that network i mean they have the network wait yeah you know what i mean like some yeah. schools you'll have a whole cohort of people going to cambridge so you're already exactly. going in there with that confidence that i'll have at least this many friends having yeah. things when you know that there's going to be barely any black people anyway when you come just being introduced to that cohort a little bit before has such positive effects um not only in, in you yourself like telling people well i'm so excited because there just seem to be those people who aren't like me but also yeah overcoming that imposter syndrome when you do walk into the lecture theater and there's like no one that looks like you but you do know that one person that does you know what i mean exactly yeah because sometimes you can just come to cambridge and feel like go straight to your lectures or your college and you're like whoa because of the it's That's the collegiate lot. system really because it's so yeah kind of separated out into these whatever um little groups mm -hmm. it can feel like low abundance or whatever of people who look like exactly. you but then when you look across the whole thing there is enough to have a have like a decent set of friends so yeah <laughs> it's just really yeah. important and like going off of that i think cultural society so this is cultural societies play a big role before during and after and like it's not just the acs that are doing amazing things to help inspire people who look like them and mm -hmm. who identify with them for example um there was three um somali girls who did this documentary with the guardian and we will link it probably one of the top links of our reading list i recommend everybody go watch it because it's just so real and it's so easily transferable to other students who are somali or who are black or a minority within their university and how you feel in in institute like historically white institutions like you could literally take that scenario and you could probably find someone in harvard or or, or princeton or oxford who feels it feels exactly the same mm. and i think having people who look like you vocalize their experiences and and tell you the realities and how they feel is so important to help potential students create a well-rounded view of what these institutions actually actually are like instead of what is just seen on a prospectus yeah because it's just so intimate i felt like watching yeah. it, it just it was really the i mean yeah you guys should watch it before i say anything about it but it's just yeah i feel like it kind of addresses such um it just gets really personal to the girls in it and they really like open up about like identity and cambridge and yeah and religion and everything and i think yeah i think just even when being at such a historically white rich institution like um yeah people can still embrace their own culture and they can find people um who do the same and yeah it was just really like oh really powerful definitely watch that it was Very. really good honestly and like heads up there is going to be another documentary um on i think press. that's <laughs> yes um the bbc have been doing a documentary on i think it's three three um black students and just exploring being black at university it's set to be so real and and and, and honestly needed and we will be sure if you still follow us we'll be sure to drop the link and 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 just i'm so excited to see it and watch it because yeah. i would have loved to see something like that when i was applying 100 percent. and we might even be in the background because <laughs> like Ooh, two of them went to Girton, um yeah the students <laughs> in it and like wait, is yeah. it she's your college daughter right she's literally my college daughter so exactly you know you never know they yes. filmed at some acs events so yeah but that's not the important part really but you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> Not like but, they're um, not filming ACS events. The fact that we're going to be what, potentially in it is background. not the important part. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> Another scheme, just to keep adding to things that are happening. So 
um, the student union at Cambridge, um, they have a BM, it's called the BME campaign and they work with BME officers in each college and with the university to ensure that there's systems in place that make us feel safe. And I'm the BME officer for Girton. So <laughs> I know, props to me. <laughs> um, and they currently have a scheme called the Big Sis Little Sis scheme where um, if you are a woman or non-binary, you can apply. And um, if you're a current student, you can apply and offer to be a big sister to a fresher who would be coming in. And you put like your pre like what you like, what you listen to, what subject you do, and then you get paired up with a fresher to just help be like a, a friendly face when they get here. And I think that is, I think these pre-arrival schemes really, really are helpful because just having mm. one person that you can say that you know when you're especially uni university in general is so disorientating because so many things are happening at once but having someone who you know can be your constant a little bit that you know you've spoken to you're kind of friendly with yeah, eases that process a little bit from your ethnicity as well is even more exactly powerful I literally remember exactly. so like this is one of my one of my earliest Cambridge memories um Ooh. was <laughs> no not really but you know like the London <laughs> Freshers event yeah oh my yeah. gosh and like so basically um they have these freshers events which you go along to and yeah. you can meet other people from your area that are going to cambridge um yeah and um izzy who was our bme officer at girton when we joined Love was her. actually helping out at the freshers event and yeah. i remember literally seeing her like standing up because they had like all the helpers at the front of the room and they introduced themselves yeah. And I, I was remember like, that. oh my gosh, because she was like the only black girl there, right? I think. I'm sorry if that. I I'm can't pretty remember. sure she I'm was. I'm pretty sure she was. But yeah. I was like, oh my gosh. And they got to her and she was like, I'm at Girton. And I was like, what? Yay! It was so good. <laughs> and like, we went into like little groups of each college. And she was yeah. like, obviously, the standing there with our group. And then you were there yeah. as well, right, Timmy? Like, that's when yeah. we first met. That's when I first met you. <laughs> it was and, like, mad, though so oh but like and then izzy was just so friendly and was like yeah like we've got the acs you guys can all join and you can come to like the bme exactly. events and like i remember going home and being like i was like she said i can go to the acs and i was just like so fast <laughs> but like like obviously i knew i was gonna go to anyway but like the fact that she was like yeah i can't wait to see you at the acs events like yeah really like made my heart so gas and the thing the thing is she this is the most vital piece of information she told me what the bathrooms were like and told me <laughs> to bring flip-flops. I promise she you. She warned you for certain. <laughs> she warned, like, she told me, you better bring, because I wasn't even thinking about flip-flops. Bring flip-flops for the shower because you probably will have shared showers. And I'm like, thank you. God, like, it's little things like that that stick with you because you yeah. have no clue what it's like. But having someone who looks like you has, like, similar experiences like okay what is it like washing our hair yeah. in shared bathrooms you know yeah. like hair day like wash day is long it's so long <laughs> exactly oh it was just izzy being there was just so important and i did it the following year and like i tried to take on her energy because i i just I knew that. how important it was to me and like just seeing the freshers all mingle and get to know each other was just like again heartwarming because <laughs> yeah but yeah it shows how important these role models are like every little exactly. stage like even when you're already in cambridge it's so important to have role models because it really affects your mindset on yourself and how welcome mm -hmm. you feel like obviously exactly. it's it makes sense if you feel like you belong in a place and you feel like people have, have got your back mm -hmm. you're gonna do better because you just feel comfortable whereas if you're on your own if you don't see anyone looks like you who anyone who can relate to you relate to your problems then it's going to be mm -hmm. so much more of a struggle and that's i guess of really pushing this thing of just putting black faces and like people mm -hmm. into things where they can interact with un with applicants and i know that there are reasons why that's not the best thing because you can't always put the burden on black and mm -hmm. minority students to do the hard mm -hmm. work and be at all these active exactly. events and be the smiley face. But 
she makes such a big difference. And I think, because I remember when I went, so our school, when I was in like year 11, my secondary school went on like one day to Cambridge. I don't know if it was like, I think they linked up with different London boroughs or something like that. And we went to a college and they took us around for the day. And I'm not going to lie, like I can see that access stuff is, is really good now. Like when I see it today, I'm like, that does look, it looks diverse. I can see those people. I've already spoken to people who do the access who are black yeah. and they're saying that they are lots of them out there doing it, which is great. But I just remember this yeah. one day, maybe it was just an off day or something like that, but there was just an open day or not an open day, but this access day that we went to and there were just, like, p- the people doing it was just really like posh and like, oh, we were literally like an inner city school kind of thing, you know? So we were all sitting there like with these people who didn't, none of them, were like people of color or anything um they were all just obviously you can't assume what someone's background is from just speaking to them but I think just off a first basis a lot of the people in my class were saying like oh I don't want to apply here because literally like no one here is like me or anything or they were like Mm -hmm. I would never fit in here and that wasn't on an access Mm -hmm. day like that was on a day meant to change that and I do appreciate the effort of everyone who goes and work involved in access no matter yeah. your background or your ethnicity, because it is still so important. But you, what well, all I'm saying is that these people may only be like these students, people from schools that went mm-hmm. we went to, may only be exposed to Cambridge or Oxbridge for a day. In terms of personally, yeah. they may only be exposed for it for, or even one video on YouTube that comes up on suggestions, and it yeah. is very important the people that you see on these things because, you know, you're. A, like you're young you're I don't know you're in secondary school you've got a short attention span you're not going to actively go out and find these statistics for people who look like you it's going to be these videos and this media that you absorb which goes those that drives those preconceptions about Cambridge and just that one day whether it's fair or not to say that um that was representation of Cambridge or not that's what Mm -hmm. people in my class were saying they were like well I don't want to go here because look at these people they're nothing like exactly Oh, I just remember that so clearly. People were like, well, yeah, I'm not going here. Like, I'm going to stay in London. I'm going to go to UCL or King's because yeah. you know, I know London is a diverse place. And that's completely fair. And I completely understand that because everyone's just exactly. safeguarding their own, like, academic, you know, progression. They want to have a good time. Exactly. But if Cambridge really wants to make change or other universities, which are predominantly um, not very diverse, they've got mm-hmm. to be careful about these things. They really do. Exactly. And like that honestly leads us to a really good point because it's about, so, okay, Cambridge recently has done this hashtag get in Cambridge and like has really started to showcase a diversity element in mainly about like race and how that people navigating that situation and, and, you know, living their life. But I feel like, as you said, there just needs to be more. I feel like, because as as an applicant like we were once applicants i was using youtube i love youtube youtube is like (laughs) the source right and like i would watch so many videos of people who went to cambridge um what the cambridge university were even creating and it's like if there's just more diversity in the in the media that you're presenting because social media is so important nowadays and i Mm. think grasping that and utilizing that to really engage in the wide because you can communicate with all types of students now and I think they need to utilize that a lot more and like this is not just for Cambridge but universities are similar or like have um lower rates of BME students use social media use um, uh, any source sort of media to engage with students and and really capture their attention because that's how people can see if this place is really for them especially in times of corona where you can't visit campuses like you used to be able to it's so true and it just yeah i think it just all of it is just kind of indicating the fact that every little access thing or whatever just needs to be amplified so much more mm-hmm. because although yeah. it already is like it's just like didn't you find something you told me that you found like Cambridge has like a BME staff network and I guess that Literally. doesn't completely apply to us but like yeah. just knowing that there is that exists because I don't really see many BME staff like around so. and knowing that there is a network if I did want to ever want to get like 
I know involved in Cambridge or anything like just I'm just saying like yeah. it's important for us or other people applying that there are networks like these that are going on exactly that there is stuff going on behind the scenes even if we don't necessarily know exactly the details of it exactly and they even have a whole website dedicated to race and equality and I had no clue like there's just so much information about what the university well I wouldn't say there's there's information there for what the university is doing and I feel like they don't maybe I'm just I don't know if I'm in the wrong circles I'm not looking in the right places but I feel like these are the kind of things that will help prospective students and even help students who are already here feel slightly at ease to know what's going on like Mm. they can have like maybe an update page of these are the things these are the initiatives that we're doing policies that we're changing you know keep us in the loop because people come to us as existing students for advice and if we know what the university is doing by the time they get there we can relate that to them and it will encourage them to apply like it it all feeds into each other and i think just advertising more you know yeah and i think another thing that like well a massive point really about making it a better place for current underrepresented minorities at university during their time here just yeah diversifying the lecture yes set i guess maybe i am do not understand how all these things work how you get like lecture fellowships or whatever but mm-hmm. i'm just please please <laughs> i just <laughs> we said it before i don't know thing i don't yeah. know if it's that important to kind of drill it in again but just having someone who teaches you who looks like you is something that cannot really be put into words like barely because it's just so important and so honestly influential exactly like i'm I, if i bring up the monica story one more time i think i'll actually cry so we're not going to do that <laughs> um, but it's, again it's just seeing people like you teaching you and 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 having those positions one makes you pay attention more two makes you feel almost a sense of relief because you've you ha- you've you've only seen a certain type of pe- person teaching you and three maybe encourages you to maybe want to take that route in life and like I think there needs to the thing is I don't want to say that there isn't I just I want to know if there are any active efforts into diversifying the staff and yeah, the lecturer the fellows of Cambridge you know yeah and yeah I think what's really cool is we probably well hopefully some of you heard the um about the Royal Institution Christmas Lectures. Um, so Chris Jackson, who uh, yeah. as a professor of geology at Imperial, was actually going to be the first black person to present um, wow. one of these these Christmas lectures, um, yeah. which is just so cool. So yeah, like three Honestly. UK academics do it. Um, and this year's lectures is called like Planet Earth, A User's Guide. And yeah, Ooh. I just think like oh that would be so cool like just to see someone the first black person i'm can't remember exactly when these i think it's it's something like 200 years or something that these lectures have been going on Ah! (laughs) yeah so it was that they were started in 1825 by michael faraday and um yeah it was not until but still it was not until 1994 that a woman had given a lecture at these things which is just (laughs) crazy as well crazy but um yeah i'm just so excited for that like he already has like a massive social media kind of following like yeah as i was saying before there's different scientists on twitter just seem to have like really big followings i don't know why twitter is such a big thing but um yeah just to see him lecturing that it's just gonna have such a big influence on young people young scientists Mm -hmm. early career researchers and beyond like showing that people like them are one we already know that people like them are already reaching success and at the top mm-hmm. of their field but also being a lap being shown for that as well and being exactly the face of these things yeah it just it's makes it more makes it feel more attainable as well if if the people yeah. are getting their platform for this which the people like them haven't necessarily got a platform for it before so exactly he still faced just, massive backlash, you know. The publicity around him being the first black lecturer of this series had loads of people just <laughs> being openly racist, being inadvertently racist, just 
Oh, yeah. It's just scary how when someone is just trying to do something, like, mm -hmm. good, <laughs> the, mm -hmm. the criticism that people can find out of nowhere exactly. to start pinning it's crazy. because of their race. It's just shocking, really. Like, for me, I remember I saw a tweet, right? Anybody being the first black anything in 2020 is embarrassing, right? For, like, whatever institution it is. Mm. And, like, but I take that tweet with a pinch of salt because regardless of when it happens, it's happened now. And this is only the beginning. And, like, I am so excited to see, like, the potential years ahead of who is going to finally get to speak at places like this or you know other opportunities for other scientists around the world for other things where they can be the possible first or you know continue a legacy and mm. start a legacy even and like I, I I hate the fact that people who are pioneering these routes for us there are people who literally just don't want to see us in these spaces and I think it's yeah. kind of a unfortunate thing that comes with starting these kind of legacies you know there's always yeah. going to be racists and bigots who don't agree and don't want to see them in these what were historically white male dominated spaces you know and you know yeah. what we'll be kind of I would, I would love to see a black woman next year you know mm, cool. be, let's it, keep it, going yeah you know diversify it you know yeah because like a lot of the criticism was surrounding like oh it's just virtue signaling or tokenism getting a black guy to do the lecture oh. and we all know that we've heard those words before yep in everything we seem to try and do everything <laughs> as people it's just it's shocking because it's like how can you how is it so unimaginable that uh, a black person is qualified to do this why does it all why exactly. do you think it has to be virtue signaling like it's just prejudice you know what I mean like it's just yeah insane I guess also another thing that I'm thinking about is yeah if we're such a great like research university or whatever and I'm sure there is stuff going on mm -hmm. in different departments but Again, we'd love to know about whether there's actually properly research going into what these barriers and where the, uh, you know, the pipeline takes place, like in the process. Yeah. Because, I mean, I was reading this report that was done called the Broken Pipeline Barriers to Black PhD Students Accessing Research Council Funding. Um, so mm -hmm. kind of similar to like what we were talking about in the last episode with that mm -hmm. paper on the American biomedical students. Yeah. Um, and I'll read a quote from it. And she she says, we can see that there have been improvements overall in re undergraduate recruitment numbers over the years, with many black students going on to pursue taught postgraduate postgraduate programs, says Paulette Williams, founder of Leading Roots. However, yeah. progress tails off dramatically at postgraduate research level, particularly when it comes to black PhD students securing funding from research councils. We need an intervention is supported at a national level to address this issue okay. so it shows how someone's really like gone in and like counted the numbers at each stage and kind of exactly found out you know exactly what's going on i think the report their like leading figure that they found was that over a three-year period just 1.2 percent of the 19,868 studentships awarded by ukri research councils went to black mm -hmm. or black mixed students and only 30 wow. of those like almost 20,000 went to b those mm -hmm. from black Caribbean backgrounds. Wow. So this severe, severe pipeline. And I think yeah. there is a responsibility on the line of the institution to, you know, fund, I don't know if that's the right word, fund, support, whatever, research yeah. going into why this is taking exactly. place. Like, we're here just speculating, we're here just saying our views, but, like, if they're really committed to solving these things, then surely there should be more critical research going on. I don't know. I think that's just so. a thought I had. Like, I, I completely agree with you. I think in general, I think institutions, universities, um, and also um, like colleges and stuff really need to take a look within themselves and, mm. and the people that they've had in the past and the people they have currently 
and if they are claiming to want to be making these progresses you have to look in the past first to see where is the issue lying for example when did we actually when was the first time we actually had a woman or black woman black man asian man asian woman when did that happen and why did it take so long and what initiatives can we put in place because i'm going to be completely honest it's not on it shouldn't be on us and other people our age to tell these large institutions what to do and Mm. i feel like the student body shouldn't have to die like obviously we can give advice of how to make us feel more comfortable and better but when it comes to for example engaging in um academics and and hiring them i know nothing about hiring processes and like i feel like it's simply just advertising more or putting let's say funds in place specifically for bme academics or black academics or like you know putting your money where your mouth is kind of because that is what's gonna that is one of the ways you can bring people in is okay we have this grant in place for bme zoologists or bme psychologists or black zoologists black psychologists you know and like i just feel like there needs to be reflection and then there needs to be action and i feel like institutions around the uk need to to pick that up yeah i think they need to be bold in a way like yeah it's very easy to kind of be be very polite and da, 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 keeping things yeah very in line how traditionally these institutions have been and i think if you're really committed to changing things sometimes you've got to just do things you've got to make that grant only available to one type of ethnicity which you've seen as being severely underrepresented exactly you've got to make that grant to that socioeconomic background you know what i mean like mm-hmm. there, i think there has been progress in the uk on that but mm-hmm. like i was looking at someone made like a big list of all the grants you can apply for phd and everything and the ones yeah. that were like us specific right the ones that were just for mm-hmm. us students there were like restrictions there was like only underrepresented minorities only parents of an immigrant wow. only parents of a refugee or something like that like only yeah. kids of refugee like really specific um requirements for what that fund who what type of person could that fund have but then mm-hmm. all the uk ones were very much um anyone can apply anyone can apply and that is obviously i'm not saying you can compare them directly because maybe there's more in the uk maybe there's mm-hmm. um different things like maybe there's different requirements later on but i think i definitely saw a notable decrease in the the boldness if that's the right word the, yeah. in the application titles mm-hmm. like who they were actually for like you can say babe encouraged to apply or something and that yeah. is still important i'm not going to disregard that but i'm just saying that in one place they're very clear about who they want to apply for it and who it's for but um yeah. tend to be here it's quite um it's it's not it's not as bold in that way and i think personally being like bolder is better and, and i understand why there is hesitation because you can see like yeah. people always seem to go like oh why are you making everything about race why are you segregating everyone again but i'm <sighs> sorry if, if there's like when systemic racism exists the way it does today then yeah there needs to be a way of achieving um equality is that right so yeah. like <laughs> There needs to be a way of um, balancing out the how uneven it's been in the past. And I think having things that are directly for the people that need them. Exactly. We've said it before with the Stormzy thing. It not only uh, brings people up to, you can't say the same playing field or the same level or whatever. But it not mm-hmm. only um, helps people who are the ones that need it. It not only mm-hmm. helps people that actually need it, not the ones that it's just a benefit or a bonus. It not exactly. only helps the people that need it, but it encourages people, who, other people who might need it or who might be like that person that this place wants people like them. If you're making that yeah. fund, you're making that scholarship for people of a certain background, it shows that you're committed to really getting people like that in because they're mm-hmm. underrepresented. Therefore, people are going to be more encouraged to apply. So I think these exactly. things have, they have two effects when you're specific, when you're bold in your, in your front as an institution. Mm-hmm. It not only means the money the place goes where it needs to go 
because mm-hmm. of, of systemic racism or because of exactly. just economic reasons and is um you know over the years like just balancing out the inequalities there but it also yeah. just it's encouraging him because it's showing yeah we don't care what people want to say this is for you because we want people like you there because we know this is the right thing to do yeah i 100 percent agree with you and like i found this um website that is called bme psychology and it was done by a lecturer at leeds beckett university mm-hmm. and he basically it's, it's a whole thing about like you know looking at what is going wrong in regards to lack of representation and what can you do about it it's like owning up okay now let's move forward you know mm. and basically he looked at the literature 300 pieces of literature for that academic year and f- he found that 96 percent of the authors were white 99 percent were western and 64 percent mm. were men and wow. i know that's just at one university but i'm pretty sure that's world like like nationwide and basically this initiative was basically just trying to diversify psychology in a way that gave more global psychological content a place in UK academia and 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 UK study especially for students and like there's so many they have a whole page about like different like they have a whole spreadsheet of different BME psychologists they have a spreadsheet of resources and like books and textbooks that focus on racism or focus on just having BME representation and like this is the kind of thing that I would love to see like obviously there's like the decolonizing of science and decolonizing of other um places of academia like sociology and stuff which which are trying to introduce more BME or underrepresented groups into their literature but I feel Mm. like there needs to be more of a public stance on it like this is the reality this is what we've got right now okay we're doing these steps to go forward and like that can go to any university and 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 any department but particularly in science and I think having that and seeing your literature also change not just your lecturers but what what you're studying also shift is so important you know because you're studying people like me we throughout this whole podcast we've spoken about issues with the way literature has been studied on certain people and like psychology has a particularly you know predominantly white past and i think being able to showcase that shift and 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 be bold about it i think that's what it is just being bold like ella said Mm. is so important and yeah like as as these monetary benefits and these these schemes and these applications and these lecturers changing and this literature changing is is great yeah there's also something that's really important just about having people around you almost linking slightly back to at the undergrad level when you've got like the acs you've got the bme campaign having such um networks almost at a Mm -hmm. career level in academia is also just so important like i've recently found out i saw something about the bame ecology network which is starting up um there's obviously also polar impact which um i was yeah heavily involved in a project with a couple of the founders of polar impact um so yeah they're they're both kind of looking at similar things they're creating programs that like encourage like mentorship and support and links between um uh black and minority ethnic individuals in science showing that people like them exist across um the world across their their particular area of science um with obviously ecology network focusing on ecology and polar impact focusing on um those in polar science um Uh i just think it's so cool and it's like i can see as someone who's trying to just get into that kind of academia stage post undergrad like having that yeah. it's just so important like they have a newsletter the, the polar impact oh, has wow. a newsletter and they feature different researchers like um who are getting involved in polar work and just yeah. seeing again it's the role model thing even when you're in it is so important um yeah 
they also have like resources on funds to apply for. Um, that's where I found that wow. list on the different <laughs> PhD funding and everything. And yeah, it's just so cool that these things are going, are just growing and getting, not, I guess they are getting started. Like Polar Impact um, has been going very recently as well. Um, the BAME Ecology Network is just getting started as well. Yeah. I think if, if people want to, people should, institutions should really be funding and supporting these things because they're almost doing their work for them in a part of a way because honestly these are all minorities obviously that are setting these up so kind of um the amazing work they're doing should be given more credit and more and more funding and things like that and yeah i know like it's the idea of um what i've heard some people talk about the thing of getting like people from ethnic backgrounds into like give diversity talks and everything and how yeah. although that is good they're giving them a platform it's you can't just like ring these people out like you have to pay them yeah. as well you know what i mean you can't exactly yeah the idea of like um you know putting more people who are well who are making a network means people can be easier to find when they do want people to come and talk and give diversity things and mm-hmm. you know show role models but then also important for the institutions themselves to kind of monetarily fund these people by giving them sufficient um yeah work money for their time as well like yeah so yeah creating networks which they can support each other because you might not know that to demand money for a a lecture or something like that like a lecture fee Mm -hmm. or a talk fee if you don't if you don't speak to other people who are minorities who are doing similar things so i think yeah that's just one example of the support these things can provide like um you know, just advice when navigating like diversity, um, psychom issues, mm-hmm. science communication issues. Yeah. But yeah, there's all these like networks, there's all these kind of big external things which are great and we've talked about and can always be expanded and be more supported. But I think the level of the individual as well is really important it's so because, important. yeah, you said it before, like you can focus on the bigger things and the systemic things, but that almost takes the blame sometimes off or the burden of people, of everyday scientists, of people who you exactly. work with in your group, people in your lecture theatre. Um, exactly. Yeah. And I think everyone can do their bit in um, contributing to improving representation just by their everyday stance and their everyday mm-hmm. um, attitudes toward these ist- towards these conversations, I guess. Yeah. Because I feel like, for example, if there was like a... Some a microaggression or an actual direct overt racial incident, people having support from not only people who will be personally offended, but also people who can see the injustice of what happened, backing you up, gives you the almost strength to report it, for example. Because reporting isn't an easy thing. It's, it takes a lot of mental energy to one, to want to relive it, two, to tell it to uh, multiple people. And like knowing that your peers or your colleagues or you know your lecturers do support you is is so important and that that is on the per the individual and if everybody just said no to racism or you know had a stance of where they can call out injustice, it would make the university and all universities a better place to be in because you feel confident to call these things out and confident to and comfortable even to just be and exist and learn you know I, I feel like the individual and the system both need to work together in order for each other to work if the system is flawed individuals who gain from that will continue to benefit and if the system is right but the, you know, there's no accountability from the individuals you know they kind of need to work together in order for real change to happen yeah 100% and yeah like you're saying you can support underrepresented ethnic minorities in when big things happen when racist incidents mm-hmm. happen when um something is said but you can also mm-hmm. support them in an everyday sense and exactly i'm not not saying like go and make a friend with someone or like go and talk to them that's not (laughs) what i'm saying like but i'm saying when conversations come up about race when discussions come out ensuring you're like listening rather than 
splaining over this person with like knowledge. Yeah. Like I remember like for some reason in Persia there just seemed to be a lot of conversations about like race. I don't know if Goodness. <laughs> like this just a yeah. lot of the time we'd get into just discussions about um the statistics at our university, the the mm-hmm. lecturers, the different races incidents that may have occurred. We just we would talk yeah. about it like with different people and a lot of the time I just felt like not very listened to and I saw mm. other underrepresented minorities not being very listened to when they talked about their experience and yeah I think a way you can support in in just dialect and the way you you if you choose to engage in these conversations not causing mm-hmm. not everything has to be an academic debate with like exactly um with like structured this that the other you know like sometimes yeah conversations about these kind of issues they just need you to listen they don't need you to bring up this that the other and like Mm -hmm. I'm not I don't know if I'm explaining it very well but like I just feel like a lot of the time in Cambridge especially such an academic a highly academic place everything seems to have to be some big debate like do we really need to debate why there's um three black students in my year exactly can we just accept that it's an like disgusting fact that there's only three Mm -hmm. it doesn't make anyone feel comfortable having to justify why they feel upset about something justify why this is a problem Mm -hmm. um and the thing is right they're not debating how they can solve it right they're they're debating Mm -hmm. if it's a problem and that in itself is just when you Mm -hmm. can just clearly see people saying it is a problem it this is my life this is this is what my experience there's not always need for debate and yes i get platforms like this like what we're speaking on now yeah we are discussing the facts and exactly. that's because we feel comfortable doing it but trying to force an ethnic minority to mm-hmm. engage in those conversations you know if someone's not comfortable talking about it at that time that's absolutely fine they don't need to open up because for, for what for you what might be just an academic debate it exactly. can be something really personal and really emotional with someone else and i think people need to have respect for that when mm-hmm. they engage in these conversations you know, and if we want to talk about it, we'll talk about it. And there will be times where people want to engage in those conversations. But it's not everyday debate, our literal existence in this university. Exactly. You know what I mean? And people need to have respect uh, in those types of conversations and, mm-hmm. and judge it. Is this a place where this person mm-hmm. feels comfortable to open up? Is this a place where... Because it's a resource. You're using them as a resource, really, to, to educate yourself. And therefore, you need to have respect for the person who's opening up to do that to help you in a way i 100 percent agree <laughs> thank you yeah i think what would be just great to to finish off on as we're, we're coming yes. to the end is just to talk about like the great um people who are doing amazing work um psychom wise research wise and yeah and like obviously we're not going to bring up everyone because exactly that would take very long because there's so many but i i don't know i talk about a couple of my faves <laughs> yeah because they are really inspiring me at the moment and to yeah. carry on with research and everything and yeah i think the first Aww. one would probably just be um carol ibe who's in the yeah. plant sciences department at cambridge like she doesn't Aww. even I don't think she knows I exist. <laughs> All I'm saying is just I see I think I must have seen like one advert of her or for like her Gates scholarship or something. She's got the yeah. Cambridge Gates scholarship for PhD. And um just like I was like, whoa, like plant sciences, like a black yeah. woman, like at Cambridge, like this is oh, so wow. inspiring. So I like looked her up and everything. Um and yeah, just seeing her work on Twitter and um, things that are going on I just find it so um inspiring and just be so cool and like yeah I know that she's got a scheme at the moment uh like an African bioscience mentoring scheme um which Aww. they meant they're mentoring like 10 highly achieving African students that all hold like first class degrees from African universities oh, wow. and everything and so she's not only pioneering herself but she's like paving the way for others um I which I just find like just so inspiring and it's yeah. just to remind you that, yeah, there are people doing incredible things and being so successful. And to know that she's probably like working like across in the lab over there, like it just makes me feel just gassed <laughs> like a lot. Yeah. But then others, wow. like I think, yeah, there's lots of like really big American names. Like I don't know if you know Raven, the science maven. 
she's like really big no. science communicator like molecular Aww. biologist and she like it's just so funny i'm just <laughs> doing incredible things like and it's just so inspiring to see people from afar even if it's on twitter just smashing it out there yeah. because yeah it's oh, paving the that. way and it's just pioneering a bit more like ecology based like karina newsom like she's just a naturalist like a massive platform yeah. and yeah especially i guess one thing we never really addressed like the specific specificities of racism yeah. in different fields of science yeah so like one aspect of like i feel like we've kind of seen with like naturalists and, and wildlife scientists mm-hmm. and everything field work is a thing which mm-hmm. can be actually dangerous to people of color because especially in america and things like that people seem to be very like up in other people's businesses and i think oh goodness we saw with um we remember we all saw that video of the birder um yeah that was um you know just literally bird watching christian cooper in the park and mm-hmm. got confronted confront got in a confrontation confronted. with a white woman and she said she's calling the police and an african-american man was here and you can see how dangerous these situations can be especially for exactly. people in the wild like there's i've seen so many stories on twitter about people that have been questioned about why they're working there or given oh, strange wow. looks about why they're doing this research which you know there's clearly underlying um, stereotypes or racism going yeah. on because people think they can confront people and question why they're doing it here. Exactly. Um, so just seeing naturalists out there who are just unapolog- unapologetically like um, doing their science and s- succeeding so much is just insanely, insanely powerful. And then in the UK, I think like um, Ellie mentioned um, her to me is Dr. Esther. So she was, Ooh. she's got basically a YouTube channel highlighting underrepresented minorities in STEM. Um, wow. And she also created like a Black and STEM Twitter thread. Um, nice. Where people can like comment and s- talk about uh, what they do and then she retweets it and just further providing a platform for all these people out there. Yeah. And all these things are just, they're just so great. I love seeing it on my Twitter when I see these new threads going around promoting people because there's, Honestly, the, my perception of how many people um, were black in science has like increased like like a hundredfold. Wherever, oh like, goodness! Wow. I, I, because honestly, there's so many people that I never knew, and just seeing all the different stages, mm-hmm. it's just so powerful and inspirational. And yeah, just keep liking those guys. Like, like <laughs> put them on my TL, like please, like I appreciate that. <laughs> oh wow! It's just so nice to hear of like people actually doing great things and yeah. like because i don't see it because i'm not an academic twitter but it's kind of making me want to go on babe. academic twitter <laughs> yeah. i try i try we love to see it that is literally everything that i think we wanted to say oh wow it's really coming to an end guys episode five wow so yeah i was just I've enjoyed it so much. Like you said at the beginning, Same. just being able to talk through these things, uh, being able to verbalise exactly. them and have someone to bounce off. Yeah. It really opens your mind just to thinking about different possibilities and, and different exactly. things that could be done and exactly. how you feel about it. Because there's often not enough time like during the year to really unpack your feelings of um, frustration or inadequacy. Exactly. But then getting the time to sit down an hour a week and just let it all out yeah. <laughs> and learn and like it's so nice make mistakes and just like discover like the little things and just kind of be corrected and everything <laughs> like it's been educational for us and i hope it's been educational for you guys as well we listening. honestly hope so too but yeah i'm not i can't say we're going to see you on camera fam again because it's the last <laughs> time oh. but I, I feel like you never know. Who knows? There might be a series two. Like, who know? What does the future hold? Like, who knows? But not for now, not anytime soon because third year. But <laughs> yeah, <you> gotta <laughs> get those that. firsts. <laughs> but it has been a journey, and I hope you guys have literally enjoyed from episode one to episode five. And honestly, listen again if you missed anything, because yeah, no one's stopping you listening the second round. 
there's no there's nobody because there's <laughs> so much that we've spoken about that maybe start engaging in conversations with people in your own lives because pick one topic and talk about it because these are how these discussions happen you know yeah go to our reading list right like yes there's a lot there and um you know some of it's just interesting some of it's just really informative and you know something for for any style and yeah just you know keep retweeting those things that's all i can say yes. like <laughs> get it on my tl <laughs> also follow Honestly. us on twitter please yes <laughs> uh, on integrity pod i mean i meant my personal like at oh. Grace henry but oh also we, we, we doing pod. we're doing plugs okay <laughs> cool <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> thank you for listening of on on integrity with ella and temi yeah. and goodbye we'll see you in the near future guys yes we will bye, bye. bye.